Hello, and welcome to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast, recorded live weekly at our campus in Scottsdale, Arizona, during our normal service. to be preaching with you uh, today. Um, talk about clickbait articles from here, here uh, from time to time, so I'll talk about clickbait articles again. Um, one type of clickbait article, one type of like a thing I like to see uh, are, are articles or lists that kind of showcase human failure. I think those things are very fascinating to me. Um, there's an account on Instagram I follow and then on Facebook if I see like 35 design flaws or whatever. I'm like, yep, I'm gonna click on that and watch that and have a, have a good time laughing at that. Um, so these things often, uh, they'll, they'll like have descriptions of what went wrong, but usually you can see like from the picture, like, okay, someone messed up there. They, they, they kind of started on the right track, but then they, they messed up and you can kind of just shake your head in amazement. Um, there's endless supplies of, of photos like this of a human, there's a lot of buildings and architecture and we've done a lot of really poor jobs at this along the way. Um, one I found in particularly that was kind of funny to me is up there on the screen. Hope it's okay. We're looking at a men's room this morning as part of our sermon. Um, there's, a, there's a divider that someone installed, um, and they, they did a good job installing the, the divider. It's nice and straight. However, they kind of missed the point of where it's supposed to go. It's supposed to go uh, just between the, the toilet and the urinal, and instead they kind of uh, smushed those uh, things together. Uh, it's a silly picture. We can kind of laugh at that, um, but I think it's it's a good example of how humans can, we can know something, we can be really good at something, we can try something, we can have all of the pieces, and we can still dramatically miss the point, we can still dramatically get it wrong. Um, we're looking at this series of prayers in the Bible, and we're going to be exploring Isaiah 1 uh, t- today. And in our text today, the Israelites, they're being called out for just missing the point. Um, they installed the privacy wall. They had all the pieces to do it, but they just they put it in the wrong place, and they're being uh, called out on that. So we'll pray, and then we'll dive into the text. So please uh, pray with me. Uh, Lord, we are so thankful uh, for your word. We're thankful for the truth of your word in Isaiah's day, the truth of your word throughout the ages, and the truth of your word for he- here for us today as well. I pray that I would indeed be able to preach and proclaim your truth. If I say anything that's not of you, let that be forgotten. Uh, but we pray that you'd be brought glory and honor and that we'd learn to better be your disciples as a result. Amen. All right, so we are in Isaiah, we are in one of the prophets, and the fact that we're in Isaiah, the fact that we're in the prophets, means things are not going well for the Israelites. Uh, The main thing that the prophets were known for, their main job was basically to speak for God, to tell the people to repent uh, because they're not listening to Yahweh. Uh, That's pretty much why the prophets exist, to call the people back to God. Um, In Isaiah, it's it's no uh, different. Uh, Here in the first uh, 20 or so verses of chapter 1, he's calling them out on their sin. Um, In verses 2 to 3, they're described as God's children, and yet they act as if they have no idea who God is. Uh, God says, I reared children, I raised them, they turned against me. An ox knows its owner, a donkey its master's feeding trough. But Israel doesn't know. My people don't behave intelligently. Like, oof, it starts off like really harsh there. You know, God's children, the humans made in God's image, they have no idea what God is saying. 
you know, uh, farm animals, they know who their owners are, and yet these are just dumb animals, and yet these dumb animals are acting more intelligently than human beings. Like, whew, again, Isaiah comes out very strong here. And what makes the matter worse is that uh, this is Israel right here. These are God's special people who entered into a special covenant uh, with the Lord. And so they have this unique and they have this shared history together. They say, God, we will follow you. And God agrees to watch over them and to protect them. That's the basic gist of their relationship. Like, we will follow you and things will be okay. And they're not. Uh, they're not doing this. And at this point, uh, God's own children don't seem to recognize their father. Uh, verses 4 to 9, they outline more of the bleak situation that they've found themselves in. Um, Isaiah lists all kinds of highlights. They're, they're an evil-doing offspring, corrupt children. They're inviting beatings into their lives. Their land is deserted and their cities are burned. Uh, there's some, some comparisons to Sodom and Gomorrah as well. And so again, Isaiah starts off, and he is not pulling any punches here. The book starts off really bleak right away. Um, and so the first uh, nine verses are describing this dark state. He continues in verses uh, 10 to 17, and he warns them, hey, you can't hide from this. You can't hide behind your religious facade anymore. Just in case they wanted to uh, back up their claim to holiness by whatever traditions they had, whatever laws they had, Isaiah is stopping them in their tracks and says, no, 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 no. stop right there. Uh, God does not care about their religious traditions. God does not care about the things associated with them, their sacrifices, their burnt offerings, the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Um, these things are not pleasing to God like they thought they should be. Uh, he lays it out very, very clearly, very, very bluntly here. Stop bringing worthless offerings. Your incense repulses me. New moon, Sabbath, and calling, and the calling of an assembly. I can't stand wickedness and celebration. I hate your new moons and your festivals. They become a burden that I'm tired of bearing. Ooh, again, like dark stuff, heavy stuff. And because so much of their identity was wrapped up in these things, so much of their identity was wrapped up in these practices. But at the same time, they were missing the point with these things. They had all the ingredients, but they were just missing the point. They were doing the wrong thing. They were engaging in their ritual. Uh, they were going through uh, the motions with their practices, but there was no change of heart. There was no uh, deeper concern for the greater world like there was supposed to be. It was essentially just lip service. It was essentially just like virtue signaling. They would perform a sacrifice, um, and they would go back to just their pagan practices right afterwards. In a moment, we'll dive into some other things they were neglecting as well. Um, so essentially, they were treating God like an idol. They were treating God like some sort of formula. In Israel, they lived in a day where idolatry was all around them, and they were to be the exception to the rule. They were supposed to be countercultural to this. Um, idolatry had a very simple uh, system. It had a very selfish setup. You put in your sacrifice, you say the magic words, you do the special thing, you, you have a special ritual, and then the idol was supposed to spit back whatever the desired results were. You do this thing, and they were supposed to, like, respond back. It was very formulaic, very selfish, and they were con Israel was constantly chided by various prophets uh, that they were just bringing all this stuff in together and just, like, they weren't doing the right thing with this. And so because they were treating God like an idol— in verse 15, uh, God is going to act like an idol back to them. When you extend your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even when you pray for a long time, I won't listen. 
You, when you pray to an idol, that's like talking to the proverbial wall. Idols can't respond. It has no eyes. It has no ears. It has no mouth. And so God is saying, you want to treat me like an idol? Great. Two can play that game. I will treat you like one back. Idols cannot respond, and I'll do exactly that if that's what you want. And in case the Israelites were still confused as to what part of the problem was, uh, in verses 16 to 17, Yahweh lays it out for them. He says, uh, wash, be clean, remove your ugly deeds from my sight, put an end to such evil, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. That was supposed to be an important part of their lives, and judging from what Isaiah and other prophets were saying, they weren't doing this. Uh, they were neglecting these things. Um, and God has always had a very real and very special concern for those who were oppressed. Uh, remember, um, the Israelites were oppressed in Egypt, and they were saved uh, through the Exodus. Um, and so uh, the, the Israelites were oppressed in Egypt. They were saved through the Exodus. That ends up being a huge part of their psychological identity. There's just so many references uh, to them being a people who were brought out of uh, Egypt. We see that all throughout the Bible, not just in Isaiah, but we see it all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. You know, as Americans, we just celebrated our birthday a few weeks ago. And if you live in America, you have these uh, certain shared understanding of our past and our backstory. And there's supposed to be these concepts that we all kind of hold to and value, and they're supposed to unite us. And Israel had this as well. You know, part of their core values, part of their core convictions was to end oppression among themselves. That was supposed to be one of those things that helped to unite them as a people. They were to be a protector and a voice for those who didn't have voices. Uh, numerous laws were in their law code dedicated to this. They were supposed to be taking care of the widows, the orphans, and other such poor and defenseless people among them. The idea was, hey, you were born under oppression. You know what it's like to be like that. Therefore, care for the oppressed. That was supposed to be part of their identity. And by the time of the prophets, by the time of men like Isaiah, they weren't. They had forgotten this. They were relying on their sacrifices just to have some sort of intrinsic merit, uh, just to keep them strong as a people. Uh, but they, uh, they were supposed to be following God with their hearts and having a concern for a weak and the vulnerable among them, and yet they kind of forgot that part of the story. They kind of forgot, like, oh yeah, it's, it's about taking care of people. It's not just about the sacrifice. Um, thankfully, this is not just doom and gloom. Again, we're starting kind of dark here. It's very doom and gloom. Uh, there's always a chance uh, for repentance. Uh, and so we read about that in verses 18 to 20. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will become like wool. If you agree and obey, you'll eat the best food of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. The Lord has said this. Uh, chapter 1 goes on. There's, there's a little bit more to this, um, but basically it's a further playing out of these themes. And so if you want to go on and read the rest of chapter 1, by all means, you can do so. Um, but this first chapter of Isaiah, it contains a lot of the basic themes that we would see throughout the, throughout the rest of this book. There's all kinds of discussion of the sins of Israel, the calling for repentance, uh, the warning of impending judgment if they don't, and a hope of future salvation. Isaiah is 66 chapters long, so if you spent another 65 weeks uh, going through this book, you would see these themes come up again and again and again, but we're not going to do that. We're just looking at some of chapter one this morning. Um, but I, I picked this particular chapter 
uh, because we're going through this idea of prayers in the Bible, the theme of prayer, things like that. Um, And in verse 15, it just really struck me. Uh, Verse 15, we read, when you extend your hands, I, God, will hide my eyes from you. Even when you pray for a long time, I won't listen. Like, that's a terrifying idea. That's a terrifying thing for the people to say. Um, Isaiah, he's presenting all kinds of things that should cause the people to perk up and to listen and say, like, God has, like, this, like, laundry list of things you're doing wrong here. But this, like, that's terrifying to say, I, when you pray, I'm going to hide from you. Um, their actions, the things they are doing, are actually causing God to ignore them, to have God turn God's back to them, to have God turn God's ears off to them. Like, that's a terrifying idea. That should have, like, really woken them up. And the thing of it is, as terrifying as this is, like, this actually happened. Like, this came to pass. This promised day indeed happened when God seemingly turned God's back on them. And roughly a third of the Hebrew scriptures contain this similar message. You know, if you don't repent, if you don't return to me, there's going to be bad things that will come your way. And that's exactly what happened. Like, Isaiah wasn't messing around here. Um, Babylon and Assyria, they swooped in and they devastated the people. Their life basically fell apart, and when they eventually did return one day, they were just a shell of their former selves. And for several hundred years, God was seemingly silent. After the prophets, uh, the Hebrew scriptures end, and there really isn't much that happens for a while. Uh, Eventually, though, like, God does show up again in the person of Jesus. God shows up again in the person of Christ, and everything changes. God is no longer silent And all kinds of crazy things happen when Jesus shows up. And Isaiah, Isaiah Isaiah was speaking to his own people. He was speaking to a people uh, far away in a faraway land, you know, several thousand years ago. And so while Isaiah was speaking before the time of Jesus, uh, there certainly are aspects to his message that can resonate with us today. Um, So I think there's certainly some things that resonate with with the time of Jesus and and with us uh, today as well. Uh, For one thing, Christ was very much all about slamming uh, empty religious practice and empty ritual. You read the story of Jesus, and again and again and again, he's just slamming uh, empty religious practices, empty religious rituals. Uh, Pretty much every time he encounters a religious person, he's condemning their hypocrisy. He's condemning their empty words. Uh, God uh, remains consistently uh, concerned for the poor and the outcast. That was something that was true in the day of Isaiah. That was certainly true in the day of Jesus. And that's very much true in our day as well. Uh, God's care and concern for the oppressed people of the world has not changed. Uh, Christ came to free all people from spiritual bondage to defeat the enemies of sin and death. And so on some level, whenever we see a care and concern in the Hebrew scriptures for people, kind of this is pointing to the eventual redemptive work of Christ. Uh, but, but part of our calling as believers um, is to be outwardly focused with how we view and we treat others, especially with meeting real and tangible needs in our world. Um, and so I think there are very, uh, two, uh, there's two temptations, I think, from Isaiah that speak to our times as well. There's kind of two things that we can kind of pull from Isaiah that are kind of like luring in us as well. And I think those two things are uh, focusing in on the ritual and ignoring the problems around us. I think those are two things that Isaiah speaks to that can easily be speaking to us as well. A focus in on the ritual for the sake of ritual and to ignore the problems around us. 
And so I think Isaiah's message to his people contains much truth for us here as well. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about ritual and ignoring problems around us. So when it comes to rituals, um, there's all kinds of Christian practices and things that we do can just so easily just turn into this, so easily just turn into ritual for the sake of ritual. You know, reading your Bible, like, that's a great thing. We should certainly be doing that. Um, but if, you know, we should be reading it to just open ourselves up to the mind of God, what is Christ calling us to, and not just this thing that we check off on a, on a list. You know, part of being a church, part of being here, like, that's awesome. And I am so glad that we're all here gathered together. And I hope that's something we do because we want to do, not out of some sense of, like, obligation or think that God's going to like us more if we show up somewhere on a Sunday morning. You know, and if there's ways or things to do things to make more impact, like to make things more impactful, by all means, let's explore those things. Let's continue to make this, you know, like a worshipful kind of a thing. You know, giving money away, giving money to a church, to tithing, to organizations in the world, all of those things are good. I encourage that and hope you find meaning and value in those things. Uh, but they're not viewed as like a fee or, again, not, not, we don't want to come across like as guilting people or shaming people hanging that over your heads. You know, there's all kinds of ways we can give back that have nothing to do with our finances. And I hope we can do that out of a sense of worship and not out of obligation. Uh, but, but even beyond that, we're here. That's awesome. We are gathered together. And I hope that we're learning from each other. I hope we're seeking to embody the way of Christ in our own contexts and the stuff that we're doing together, like, actually impacts each other, you know. So I hope that when we leave here, we don't just, like, like shut off a switch in our brain and just forget about everything that we did. And again, if there's, if there's ways to better be connected uh, outside of the Sunday morning time, outside of, like, these walls, by all means, let's continue to explore that. And, then, you know, we certainly don't want to be legalistic about our faith. Admittedly, there's going to be days or times or seasons, maybe we are just going through the motions, uh, but my hope would be that uh, you can find your grounding in Christ and know that the various practices that we do in our faith are there for a reason, that our trust is in Jesus, not simply the ritual. Um, so, so those are some remarks on the ritual. Let's talk about like faith. Let's talk about impacting the world around us. Again, the temptation is to uh, turn off our, our brains and our hearts to the problems of the world. Isaiah's day, that was true. That's true in our day as well. It's easy to kind of like neglect these things. Uh, there's the temptation to make uh, faith solely a spiritual concern. That is to say, you associate faith with morality or how to get to heaven or something like that. Um, and while Jesus very much has things to say about the spiritual condition of the world, he also wants us to understand that our faith shouldn't be impacting things here and now. The things that we're doing here and now actually matter. You know, as Christians, we should continue to take the idea of being set free from oppression and be a voice for those who are oppressed now. You know, whenever you step up for the oppressed, you are acting in line with the way of Christ. Whenever you are being a voice for the oppressed, you're acting in line with the way of Christ. Christ calls us to a deep faith. Christ calls us to a faith that changes things, that changes our hearts and helps to change the world, to be a light, as we heard about in our, in our, in our kids' time this morning. Uh, we recently did something to, like, like this. We uh, did an initiative where we collected water and other supplies for those in Phoenix that needed it. And I think it's, it's wonderful to come alongside other churches and religious groups in the area, help to take care of tangible needs. It's a beautiful thing, and to everyone who participated in that, thank you. And handing out water is just a good thing, absolutely be doing that. 
Maybe it's not a bad idea to have some snacks or some water in your car. If you, know, if you see someone who needs a drink of water, you can give it to them from your car. Um, and it, it, that's one of those things, even as a church, I've got to like, kind of work through. I've been here like a little over a year now, and like I was not expecting people to come to their door and like looking for help or handouts. I didn't know that was a thing. Like in my old context, that never happened. And so the first time that happened, I was like, kind of taken aback. I was like, oh, sorry, I don't have anything for you. Sorry about that. And over the last year, I've slowly worked on a system where when people come by, I'm able to give them some water. I'm able to give them some snacks. And it's like, okay, I can't fix all of your problems, but I can at least give you some food and give you some water and help you maybe find some resources and things like that. So even that is something as a church we've kind of worked on. Um, but so when thinking about like giving water out, like absolutely, that's a good thing. Let's not stop doing that. But like, let's also not stop there. Like, let's continue to take it beyond that. Um, what if Jesus is calling us to go beyond providing water and maybe asking the question of, you know, why are there people who need water in the first place? Like, I have water. Why does my neighbor not have water? Like, why do we live in a world where my neighbor doesn't have water when I have water? You know, we live in a developed nation. I'm going to assume if you're here with us this morning, like, you're in a situation you can turn on the tap and get water. You have a fridge, you pull out your Brita filter, whatever system you have in place to you know, drink the water that we have here. And yet there's also a great need in our community where hundreds, if not thousands of people around us, our neighbors, like don't have that, I don't even want to call it a luxury, like who don't even have that right to drink water. Like maybe Christ is calling us to say like, you have water, great. Give water to your neighbor, but then ask, why does your neighbor not have water? You know, scores of people locally aren't able to provide the most basic necessity for themselves. As a church, again, I'm so glad that we were able to help step up with that, but I also can't help but think maybe the church should be going deeper and seeing why this is an issue to even begin with. And so let's not stop with just passing out water, but press that question of why do we live in a society where we need to be doing this? Why do we live in a society where I have water and my neighbor doesn't? And then work for a future where that is the case. Now, to be clear, like any kind of modern problem, I'm sure it's a complex web of issues and complicated, and I don't want to like overly simplify it, but maybe we can at least start asking questions, and if we don't like the answers we get, we continue to be a Christ-like solution to, what, to whatever, the, whatever the solution is. And so I think that when Jesus says, hey, come follow me, he means that. And when he says, come follow me, I don't think that there are limits to that, and I don't think that ever comes with an expiration date. Christ says, come follow me. It's like, we don't make a one-time decision to do that. We make a daily decision to do that. And that looks different each day of our lives, each, each, like, uh, each season of our lives. There's no expiration date to what that looks like. And so like Isaiah's audience, we might find ourselves tempted by empty religious ritual, and we may be tempted by apathy towards suffering. But unlike the original audience, I don't think God is going to shut out our prayers we're found guilty of these things. Like, I don't think that, that that idea of God not listening to us, like, I don't think that's, that's true for us as well. I don't think we live in a system where there are certain things or actions that, God, that, God, that cause God to completely turn away from us. And, and for that, I am thankful. And if nothing else, it points to the, the gravity and the seriousness of empty rituals and the gravity and the seriousness of apathy towards the suffering. And so we are incredibly thankful for God's grace we are thankful for the work of Christ on our behalf, and we are thankful for the Holy Spirit's guidance in living out these truths. And we pray that we can make this a reality every day. Thank you for listening to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast. If you have any questions or are interested in finding out more about our church, 
Feel free to reach out to us at any time. Our contact information is provided at www.pbcob.org.